Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton. We had a couple encounters with bears. I think um, I'm a mother of two, so I know fear. Um, I don't think I've ever been so scared where I literally can't move. So we were in Glacier and there was a, a lost child. And so everybody was on the trail trying to find this child. And all of a sudden we heard somebody yelling at us and we kind of just froze and we're like, bear? What do you mean bear? And so we went like this and we looked over here and just like in the movies, it was a grizzly bear and it was like, what, 20? Uh, yeah, it, it seemed like 20 feet. It was probably more like 40 or 50 feet away, but that's still relatively close. Welcome back to the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 153, Tips When Visiting Our National Parks. In this episode, I'm talking with Diana and John Ingalls. Together, they are co-founders of a lifestyle brand called Wild Rooted. Wild Rooted is a family-owned company producing unique products like stickers, shirts printed with algae ink, and hat patches, key fobs, and keychains made with a plant-based letter alternative called Miram. You're going to hear more about that later. During the conversation, Diana and John provide tips for planning and packing. They recap their national park tour, and give insight on which national parks are hidden gems. They also provide insight on how and why their company gives back to our national parks and forests. Let's get right into it. All right, welcome back, everyone. And as you heard in the introduction, we have Diana and John with us. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about national parks. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, about their brand and giving back. Uh, but first, John, Diana, how are you doing? And uh, welcome to the show. We're doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I, you know, um, when we got connected, it was very easy for me to uh, tell that there's a passion for the outdoors uh, with you know, with you two sitting there. And I always enjoy talking to people that have a passion for the outdoors. And then even more so whenever they have this sort of calling to give back to the outdoors. So um, I'm very excited for this conversation. And, you know, as someone, I, I hate to say this, I hate being the person that says I've never been to a national park. Um, I've been uh -huh. to a national, I've been to a national park, but I've never, uh, not when it was actually a national park. So, um, the you know, new river gorge in West Virginia is our newest national park. I've been there, um, multiple times, but not since it's gotten that new designation. Um, mm. so as people that have visited national parks, what is your favorite national park? Easy mind Zion. How about you? Hmm. I have to say black Hills area. Okay, with, with the Black Hills would be South Dakota, Western okay. South Dakota. So I got to ask why for each of you. So why? What is it about those parks that you're like? That's my favorite. That's the one I'm drawn to. 
I really, as an eco-friendly packaging um, designer by day, I really appreciate when you go to Zion and other parks have this as well, but Zion really seems to have it down, you know, to a T. When you go into the Canyon, every sign for every store or every eatery has to be uh, created in the color palette of nature so that it's not taking away from you driving into the canyon. So for me, Zion is very spiritual. As you drive in, you feel this sense of being in Mother Nature, Mother Nature's arms. Uh, it's just very calming as soon as you drive in. And then once you're on foot and you're going up through the canyon, through the waterway, uh, it's, it's mind-blowing how beautiful nature is. You? Yeah. So for me, I, I think this is a a rigged question because it's kind of like picking your favorite <laughs> child, right? Uh, the reason I picked Black Hills area. So you're talking, it has Wind Cave, Jewel Cave. It has Badlands are in that same area. A Minutemen missile silos there. We have Devil's Towers not too far away. So that whole Western area of South Dakota and into Wyoming. And then down into Nebraska has 45 minutes. You have everything from caves to the mountains to the plains and the badlands. It's just a little bit of everything there. So you like it because there's a lot in one yeah, area. It's super diverse. You right. Can get and we, we drive, we drive to all the parks we go to pretty much. So yeah. a 12 hour drive in our truck is not unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. So for us being central. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, a 12 hour drive gets me to where you are. Right. And then I still have like another 12 hours to go. And, and I really think that is probably the biggest reason for me why I haven't been to a national park. Um, it's it just, there's a, there's a great distance there. And, you know, it's funny, I hear your reasonings and I think, um, like it calls me back to, you know, the, the whole idea from like Teddy Roosevelt of having like Grand Canyon National Park. The, the reason why he wanted it was because he didn't want to see what happened at Niagara Falls with all the commercialization take away from the beauty of nature. So to hear that um, for Zion, you know, how they're allowing, right? Because you have to have amenities for modern travelers. Um, so to allow them, but do it in a way that it's not taken away from nature's beauty. I get that. And then, you know, having a lot to do. Uh, you know, I can, I'm perfectly fine just like wandering and, and being on hikes, but if I'm going to go and, and take my wife or take my son when he gets a little bit older and, and can be walking around, like we need things to like grab their attention, right? Like, it, especially my son, like we're going to need things that grab his attention. He's only going to be able to just walk next to me on a hiking trail for so long. And then he's going to be bored out of his mind unless he ends up being more like me than I realize. So that makes a ton of sense on both those parts. Now I have to ask the question of what national park is on your bucket list? What's that big, what's that one that you haven't been to yet that you're thinking like, I have to get to that one. Um, for, for me, we went on a trip a few years ago where we spent five weeks going to 19 national parks and monuments. So we tasted each one of them. And so I'd like to go back to Yellowstone. You? Yeah. And for me, Alaska, there's several in Alaska. I don't know exactly. I'm going to probably. Like Denali. This. Denali, yeah. so, probably. So you're talking, yeah. There's 17 national parks yeah. up in Alaska, I believe. Yeah. So, so Alaska. Yeah. I haven't yeah. been, never been there. Yeah. You guys haven't been to Alaska? Nope. Mm -mm. No. I, I, 
I don't know how I did this. I convinced my wife <laughs> to convince my wife. I made the suggestion for our honeymoon. Hey, why don't we go on an Alaskan cruise? And she was all for it. Um, so we went on an Alaskan cruise. Now we didn't spend, you know, port to port, right? Like you're in each port. We explored each port, but um, we didn't get to go into interior Alaska or anything, but we both really enjoyed our time. Um, I am currently in the works of putting in the works of, my next trip to Alaska, which probably won't be for another at least 15 years, uh, because it'll be a, a hunting trip for moose and multi weeks and, you know, a couple thousand, couple tens of thousands of dollars to do. So I have to save up for it. But um, that's how awesome it was up there. Uh, what, you know, seeing what they had, that was that was great. My, my big thing, I want to go to Yosemite. Um, that is that that's been i got into photography when i was in in college uh taking some classes and ansel adams was one of my favorites and he spent a lot of time there um i've read a lot of uh you know works by john muir obviously he spent a lot of time there so um to go out there and and see you know those the trees and 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 see the falls and everything um that would just be that would be incredible for me so if I'm going to plan this trip, right, like let's go with driving. Let's say we're going to drive because more than likely I'm going to drive. The The airline industry is crazy right now, right? Um, yeah. So let's say we're going to drive. Um, if I'm planning this visit, like what are some things that I want to think about in, in order to make it a successful trip? So for us, we have a truck. We have a Honda Ridgeline that has the removable cover on the back that folds up. And the way we compartmentalized things and kept things easy to get to was we went and got some plastic tubs that fit the bed um, pretty tightly because, you know, when you're going across some dirt roads, you're going to pick up some dust. And so we compartmentalized food and extra clothing. And one thing I think we should have done more of was you get into some areas where, um, it may be summer where you're from, like we're from Illinois, but when you drive out West, you're hitting spring all the way across the country to the, to the West coast. And I think we didn't have enough cold gear. So I would say probably food and cold gear um, are some things that you think you can go to a store or you think you can stop by a gas station and you get in certain areas and you're off grid, you're hungry and you're cold. And you're hanging out in the car or you're hanging out in the truck because you can't find a hotel room because everything's booked up in the next city over. So food and uh, clothing. Yeah. And for me, I would just say to tag onto that, a good segue is be aware of the time of year that you're going. So what the, the weather conditions are going to be where you're going to be both in elevation and if you're going in Northern areas, you wanna make sure that you're prepared for the the cold that you may have. So in South Dakota, it could be sunny and 60 degrees. And in the afternoon, it could be snowing three inches. Yeah. And it can come on you that quickly. So it kind of sounds like a, uh, a big Hollywood movie where you're like, you're out in the middle of nowhere and the snowstorm comes and snows you in, that can happen. <laughs> yeah my uh my dad and i went this was a couple years ago now we went to north dakota for a pheasant hunt uh we left the day after christmas and we were checking the weather the whole way out because we knew like weather we had been told and we knew like weather can turn on a dime in the dakotas um and we i remember the we slept at a rest stop for a couple hours in 
uh, Wisconsin, I, I think it was, um, or maybe, maybe Minnesota. Um, can't remember exactly, but we even checked the weather. Like when we got up, like got up, I put in air quotes there, you know, whenever we decide to start driving again, again, at like 6am, we're looking at the weather and we're like, yeah, okay. They're, it's saying that they're going to get a couple inches, like, which a couple inches, no big deal. Uh, we pulled into the hotel, the, the motel. And the first thing the lady asked us was, um, do you need to go buy food? And we were like, no, we, we brought all the food we're going to need. Cause we were only going to be there for like four days. And she goes, okay, good. And my dad's like, well, wait, why? Like, is it like a family run business that's closing or like, what's, you know, she's like, oh no, we're getting a blizzard. We're like, no. So in the time it took us to drive, you know, from roughly Minnesota uh, or Wisconsin, somewhere around that border uh, there, the weather changed drastically. Um, we ended up hightailing it out, which was a good thing because my friend who lives in North Dakota sent me a picture the next morning uh, and they already had 12 inches of snow and it ended up like 23 inches of snow. So we wouldn't, I mean, we thought about staying maybe and riding it out, but it was like, we wouldn't have been able to hunt. We wouldn't have to do anything. We just sat in the hotel room. So um, can't do yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that just, uh, my story is just to highlight, like in the, in the Northern sort of tier of, of the lower 48, right? Like, especially spring, summer, or, or I'm sorry, spring and fall, like, yes, those weather changes can happen like super, super quick. Um, and so I agree, you need to be prepared with that 100%. Um, you mentioned the hotel rooms being like booked up in the next town over and things like that. Like, is that, if you're planning to stay in a hotel, should you, is that something you need to book pretty far in the future then? Um, you can, but I think the way we did it on the, the trip a couple of years ago was we tried to be as malleable as possible so that if let's say a park was like super busy or the weather was not, um, conducive to like going on a hike or something, we would like quickly pivot. So we would use the, what was the app that you used? Uh, Road Tripper. Road Tripper. Cool app, so yeah. it would plan out the the trip in advance. But there were a couple of times where we thought we'll just be able to get a hotel in Montana. And uh, we just were doing like diamond mine or not diamond mining, yeah. we have a sapphire mining. Sapphire, yeah. And we got so excited about doing it. We were finding so many that we, um, for that night, we had not planned on a hotel. So we ended up just going into town, um, wanting to get a hotel, but there was a basketball convention. And so there were no rooms. So we had to drive for two hours yes. and we considered sleeping on the side of the road, but we didn't feel super safe about it. So <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, it, it's a little crazy. So if you can get a hotel ahead of time, that's great. But yeah. if you're trying to be malleable and you like go with the flow, there's going to be some situations where you might have to like just camp it out in your vehicle. And you want to make sure that you're, you're determining what you're, if you're in a peak season may not be the best idea to do that because depending on which parks you go to, there's, let's say the top 10 popular parks. If you're in and around those parks anywhere, you're probably not going to find a hotel. Mm. So you'd have to plan well in advance. And if you want to stay in the parks, those are even further out. Depending on the park, you could be looking at, you know, six months to a year or longer to get a, to be able to get those reservations. Yeah, in. So we like to hang out at parks that are not quite as popular um, because there's a little bit more peace and quiet. And 
you have more available to you as far as lodging. Does that answer the question? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that does. Okay. It, and that I guess was sort of part of what I was thinking, like, is there an advantage to going to a less popular park, you know, the, as opposed to like Yosemite, like everyone knows about Yosemite, right? Like that's like the, the, the big park I feel like. Um, but there's, that's, there are dozens and dozens of parks, right? So like, what's the advantage of going to these lesser known parks um, that maybe don't have as much infrastructure built within it? So one park that comes to mind would be the Bristol Pinecone Forest in just outside of Bishop. You take a Looney Tunes type of road. Um, you drive for about an hour. It's an hour. And you get to the top of um, this mountain area that has the oldest living trees in the United States or in the world, right? I think so. And yeah. the world. There's one there carbonated so, like 4,500 4, years old. Yeah. So there wasn't, there was like five people there. There were not very many people. So that's one instance. So you have the whole park to yourself and the rangers to yourself. And then we just went to one in New Mexico where it's the old Fort Fort Union. Fort Union. Yeah. And we had a private tour with the ranger. She was so excited to see people that she's like, let me get my hat. Let me get my, my booklet. And I'll walk you around the whole complex and give you a private tour because we were the only people there. So there's advantages to it. You're not you're not going to the most popular, but the most popular aren't always the best. Is that a way to say it without hurting somebody's feelings? <laughs> you, you best definitely you have a high traffic volume of traffic going through some of these parks, especially in the summertime season, Zion and Smoky Mountain uh, Parkway. And I mean, th th you can name like 10, 12 parks that have a huge amount of traffic. So when you go there, it's almost like you're at, Disney. Disney. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, it's, you're not waiting in line for things, but I mean, it is really busy and you're not necessarily getting time alone to actually go and explore yeah. some of the trails. You hear the birds. Just yeah. be alone with nature. So you go to some of these national monuments and other historical sites that are off the beaten path a little bit and not quite as popular. Uh, they're really nice because you have the freedom to be able to go on those trails and actually hear nature around you and not yeah. deal with such. It's crowds. your own park. Yeah. Pretty and, much. Yeah. And that's, you know, back to what we, we would advise if we had any suggestions, always talk to the Rangers. It, yeah. especially the Rangers know the tea. The yeah. Rangers always know the tea. Yeah. Yeah. So they can give you the background and the history and everything else. So you mentioned a Looney Tunes road um, and you mentioned, mm -hmm. you know, that you guys have a truck. Uh, like, is that a requirement or like, could someone go to some most of these parks probably with like you know their little sedan or car or minivan with low ground clearance yeah for sure we took a truck because we didn't know what we were going to come across and our motto on the trip was if there's a back road we're going to take it uh we ended up at sand dunes outside of idaho and we just thought we'd just take a back road and i don't think you could have done that in a minivan so a truck would be required if you want to like have some options, but most of the parks are, are set up for um, minivans and just sedans, two wheel drive cars. But if you want to, if you want to have a little bit more of an adventure and go off grid, tr a truck is required. Yeah. Getting to the parks. Uh, we haven't, there's no parks that I can think of here in the 48 States Yeah. that you can't get to right there are some places there are some places our nephew we have a nephew 
that is kind of a nomadic. Sometimes he lives in Oregon, sometimes Florida, sometimes Montana. He's all over the place. But when we meet up with him, he'll take us off grid to places you can't get to by car. So if you don't have a four-wheel drive truck, you're not going to make it through the creek that you're driving through to get to this wherever we're going kind of property where bear hang out, you know? So with that sort of off off grid, let's say someone decides like, yeah, I'm going to do this off grid. Like that could be a dangerous situation, right? Because there's probably not going to be cell service, you know, to be able to get, you know, even in a truck, there, there are people even in a truck that they get stuck, right? And you need help with that kind of stuff. Like, do you guys take extra stuff just to try to help in that kind of situation? Um, or is it sort of like a, well, I hope, I hope we make it. <laughs> well, we're, when we go to the really extreme places we're we're usually with our nephew, Ryan, and he's so adapt to just being out off the grid that we feel pretty safe with him. And he usually has things to keep us safe. And we usually take dogs with us. But when we go kind of off-grid, which would be like suburbanites version of off-grid, um, we usually take extra gas because gas isn't always readily available and snacks. And one thing I think we should take this year would be chains for the tires. We were just in Portland and apparently Portland doesn't get snow a lot. So they're not really um, used to like managing that or driving on it. So we were driving on snow covered roads that had never seen a snow plow so having chains would have been really nice and would have made us feel a lot safer yeah that that makes us the the having some extra gas um that is a, a great tip um just i'm gonna bring up the north dakota story again when we eventually got there okay um and and actually got the hunt we actually hunted for a longer period of time second time we went we went in november um but when we got there we went to check out some fields that we thought that I thought maybe we would hunt. And, um, there was a road <laughs> on the map. Um, but when you looked at it, boy, it did not look like a road. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I'm used to, I'm used to back roads and dirt roads and, and that kind of thing. But, um, even, even for me, I was like, man, how was this on a map? Um, and we didn't get stuck, but we, I, my, my Dodge Ram, it tried its best to get stuck uh, when we were back there to the point where when we were coming back to the motel from that field, we actually stopped at a hardware store and um, got a shovel uh, to be able to sort of dig ourselves out if the, you know, something like that would be necessary um, shovel. And I think we also got a bag of sand as well, um, just to try to help us with some traction if necessary. We didn't have to use it, um, but it was one of those things like we didn't think about, like, we're purposefully going places that are, you know, and, and granted it's North Dakota, mostly private land where we were going, but it's still like the roads that were there are purposefully going on bad roads to get to places where wild animals are going to be. Um, and that, why that didn't like stick in our head of like, oh yeah, you, you know, you might get stuck. What are you going to do? Um, that's definitely something that, that you need to consider if you're choosing to go to the, you know, off the beaten trail, off the grid a little bit, try to get back in and, and see some different, some different things. Um, so yeah, nature will surprise you. Ooh. Don't think just because you're, you're human and you live in a city that you can't die out there. You hundred percent can die out there. I, I feel like uh, every year, you know, for someone like me that sees news stories about outdoorsmen and stuff like that, like every year nature just convinces me more and more that we can't control it. 
right? Um, and that if you are not over-prepared, you're under-prepared. Um, and that's, you know, I, I spend a lot of time outside. I spend a lot of time um, in the woods and, and things like that, but by no means am I living uh, off the grid. I, I still live a modern lifestyle, right? So, um, <laughs> you know, you need to to be prepared for those, those situations. Um, what about, you, you mentioned food and snacks and stuff. I mean, are you like, if you go for five weeks, you can't take all the food that you're going to eat. Uh, mm-hmm. Plus, I'm sure part of the experience is eating locally as well. Uh, but like what what kind of snacks, what kinds of things are you taking that are easily transportable and easy to just sort of have without, you know, just being nothing but complete junk food, even though I love junk food so much? Yeah. Yeah. So nature nature has its own packaging and we tried to rely on that as much as possible. So bananas, apples, um, of course, granola bars. Uh, we did a lot of cheese and crackers. I think, I think me personally, I lost 10 pounds on this trip because there wasn't access to food a lot of the time. So you were just eating cheese and crackers, driving back home to your, um, let's say a campground or a hotel or something like that in the middle of the night. So it was kind of a wild trip in that uh, we were learning as we were doing it. So when we came back, we're like, wow, that did not go at all like we planned. Um, And the way we planned it was we were going to take our cooler, fill it with food and sandwiches. Um, But after like the third day, peanut butter and jelly sandwich is just like really not doing it for me. So we got to find a Chipotle and we got to find it fast because eating the same thing over and over and over for me, I can't do it. So we tried to make the best of the, the traditional um, cooler, you know, like when you're a kid, your parents pack the cooler so that you don't have to stop and spend a lot of money on food. But we did try to find niche areas where people had, like in Idaho, we made sure we stopped at this place that served Idaho fries so that we could experience what that state had to offer. That sounds kind of kind of weird but that's, no no that's no how I'm, I'm right there with you like when, okay if i go on vacation to the beach or something i don't want to go to bubba gump shrimp company i want to go i, I want to talk to the locals like where do you go to eat i mm-hmm. want the local flavor of that area yeah. and if you ask people you just are kind and just open and vulnerable and say we're on this trip we don't know what we're doing it, it once you're vulnerable people will open back up to you and they'll say, have you tried this? Have you gone here? Here's an experience we had last year. And so we're like, oh, we're going to be going by there. We'll stop at that coffee shop because of X or we'll swing by that um, like farmer's market that only goes on at certain times of year. So we tried to be, we tried to let nature show us what to do. We tried to not have a, a strong schedule. And for the most part, we try not to because um, I think that's the adventurous part of the trip. It's kind of like when you're a kid and you're in the backseat of the station wagon, your parents have the trip all planned out. But for you, it's like, what's going to happen next? And so we tried to bring a little bit of that back into it. So you want to pack things that, um, back to the food question, that are nutrient dense, things you're not going to get bored of and definitely pack a lot to drink because yeah. it gets really hot. And we didn't realize that when you're not sweating, you're still 
you're still dehydrating yourself. Yeah, especially like, if you're not yeah, especially if you're at higher elevations, right? Because the air is not as humid. Um, I feel like that's that's something that a lot of people don't realize. You know that at higher elevations, you're losing more moisture out of your body than you know than you would think because you're not sweating and you know there's not the the moisture in the air to replace that as you breathe it in. So you need that extra water to stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. Yep, we learned we learned a lot, and we're actually surprised we came back alive. <laughs> so, so that's a good jumping off point of like, what was the biggest mistake? Like, what's the biggest mistake you've made when you've gone to whether it was on that five week trip or just like in general going to a national park? What's that like big mistake that you can be like, God, ah, I'm never doing that again? I think if you don't do your research on where you're going, uh, it's it's possible that you get kind of let down. So it's like that moment on, uh, it's not Christmas vacation. It's the one with, what's his name? Where he goes, he's all excited about going to the theme park and he pulls oh. up and it's closed. Do your research ahead of time. Know where you're going, know what you're going to get into. Do know that mosquitoes will hunt you and tap on your car window. So um, literally, I'm not joking. Like I remember this one just like tapping on the window while I'm, ran to the truck, sat in the driver's seat, and it just kept tapping on the window. So I think the biggest mistake for us would be um, not taking bear spray, not taking mosquito spray, and just assuming that we would just be okay. You? Yeah, and just being prepared. I mean, like I said, check in with the rangers, check in with people, see what it yeah. is that you, that have been there before to see what it is, because I've heard somebody, someone told me not too long ago, oh, I checked the weather at Denver. It should be fine. I'm like, yeah, but you're going up another, you know, 4,000 feet in elevation up into the mountains. It's not the same weather conditions. Maybe so, maybe go no. with somebody who knows the area for the first time. So you get that, that shared knowledge. So you're not learning these things and possibly getting hurt on your first trip. You yeah. mentioned not bringing bear spray. Was that because you had an encounter with the bear or just because after the fact you're like, oh, we probably should have had bear spray. We, we had a, we had a couple encounters with bears. I think um, I'm a mother of two, so I know fear. Um, I don't think I've ever been so scared where I literally can't move. So we were in Glacier and there was a, a lost child. And so everybody was on the trail trying to find this child. And all of a sudden we heard somebody yelling at us. And we kind of just froze and we're like, bear? What do you mean bear? And so we went like this and we looked over here and just like in the movies, it was a grizzly bear and it was like, what, 20? Uh, it, it seemed like 20 feet. It was probably more like 40 or 50 feet away, but that's still relatively close. Yeah, it, that's it a little too, too close for off. comfort. Yeah. yeah. It was walking beside the trail off into the woods and and they're like they're like scream and yell they're like yelling at us to scream and yell and we're like what are you talking about i don't they're like bear make noise and we're like uh is this that awkward moment where you're like uh you're clapping lightly looking around like (laughs) are we being it's nature don't (laughs) don't we want to be quiet yeah so that that was the first one and then the second one we were off grid with our nephew Ryan, like I talked about before. And he took my husband up into this meadow, which is like something off of, um, again, a movie, a Hollywood movie with beautiful flowers. Mm -hmm. And they were walking back and all of a sudden the ground kind of moved a little bit. And he turned around and my nephew had his face and his face. And he's like, did you hear that? That's a bear. 
<laughs> I'm going to pick up this rock. You pick up some sticks. You start hacking those together. And we're just going to start walking back down to the camp where the dogs are. <laughs> you know, the dogs that can save our lives. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So my husband looks at my nephew and he's, he looks down at his feet and he's in flip-flops. And Ryan's like, I know, I know. All you have to do is outrun me. <laughs> so we've had a couple bear instances. Um, <laughs> so again, it's that situation where you don't know what you're getting into unless you're with somebody who knows the land. So we've had a couple close calls that we feel kind of silly about. Yeah, that's I. I grew up in bear country, uh, but in Pennsylvania here, that means black bears. Uh, and mm -hmm. when it comes to black bears, black bears are way more scared of people than people should be of the black bears. They're, they're not, um, they're not the kind of, of bear that's going to come and attack you. Um, but it, very rare instances. Um, really the only thing I can, the only time I have been scared around the black bear, um, was archery hunting in a tree where I had cubs on one side of the tree and the, the sow behind me. Um, all she did was let out a growl and the cubs came running to her and then they, they went off, but knowing that you shouldn't be in between cubs and a sow, like, that was made me very nervous but i've heard from people that you know are in grizzly bear country that not only is it important to have bear spray but also have it in an area like on you in an area that you can get it out and utilize it quickly um and and when i say that i i'm mentioning like hunters that will go you know elk hunting mule deer hunting they have their bear spray but it's like buried in the bottom of their pack like at that point, you might as well not even have it, um, as you know, I've come to learn. Um, I would probably would have been the same way, <laughs> like, you know, um, but you know, having it not just with you, but like actually accessible, being able to use it, look at the can, you know, and like, how do I actually, you know, pull the pin and squeeze the trigger mm -hmm. and know how to use it, things of that nature. Yeah, that first instance when we were up in Glacier, when they were yelling us about the bear, I think that was the one where I felt like it was Don Knotts all of a sudden. You couldn't Try, get your Brian, I couldn't get the bear out of the sleeve that it was in. It was out. It was there, but I just couldn't get it out of the harness that it was in. And I'm like, you just get all panicked. It was, it's, yeah. 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 And listen, that close, like I can fully understand why you would be, you know, panicked and nervous and, and fumble with something that you're not used to using. You know, that's just that that makes complete sense. Um, so we've been talking about public lands and, and you know, some tips and, and things like that. You have developed a brand that revolves around giving back to public lands and, and being a part of the public lands. Why is it important to give back to public lands? We were on the Jody Mayberry show a couple of years ago, and Jody's a Peoria native here from Peoria, Illinois, but he moved out West to become a park ranger. And he also has a podcast that helps park rangers. And our son, who's also a co-founder who couldn't be here today, uh, he kind of said it poignantly. Um, Jody asked him, what do the national parks mean to you? And he said, these are lands that will always remain as they were and no one's going to spoil them. So every generation will see the same type of landscape that you are seeing right now. So for us, having that for our children and possibly grandchildren or other people's grandchildren or future generation is really important. And I know, I know we're small. We're not 
we're not a huge brand yet, but I feel like if everybody does a little, it makes a huge impact. How old is your son to be able to be so Brent, Brent, Brent is 25. Okay. He loves nature. He loves okay. nature. Going on this trip, I think was life-changing for him. We just, one day we're like, we're getting in the truck and we're going for five weeks to national parks. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> and I think it's, I think it just really helped him see how important these lands are because if you have a bad day or you have like, you're going through some tough times and you walk out into nature, wow, it's an instant reset and it's free. Yeah, that's well said. There, there's been a lot of research surrounding the pandemic and the importance that being outside and within nature can be so beneficial to your mental health. You know, I, I think about myself, I'm, I'm 37. Um, it wasn't really until I turned like 32-ish that I started like realizing just how much the outdoors meant to me. You know, I, I, I've always gone out, but like there's still that realization that you get um eventually hopefully everyone sort of gets like when that realization hit me it was when after i got married and um because my wife and i had plans from the beginning of having kids you know and so like thinking like seeing development happening here in west of pennsylvania like okay i remember those used to be woods you know uh this gas station that's here i have a picture of my great grandfather standing there with you know, rooster tails out of his hunting pack because that's that used to be cattails and a wetland. Um, and now, you know, I've never known it to be that. And then once I had my son, it was like really hammered home of like there you need you. I say you as in me, like I need to do something to ensure that he can see places like I was able to see them. And like you said, yeah. if I'm lucky enough to be a grandfather someday, like that my my grandkids, future grand grandkids would be able to see some of those places similar to how I saw them. Um, that's, you know, that's become super important to me for him to be able to make that connection at 25 at 25. I was, I definitely wasn't even thinking about like kids and future. I was thinking about like, what do I need to do to have a good time this weekend, which oftentimes is going to camp. But like, you know, I'm, I was thinking about myself for him to be able to think about, you know, future generations, at, at a young age, that is uh, super impressive to me. Yeah, we call him the old soul or the analog man, because every time I see him, he always he reminds me of my, me of my grandfather reincarnated. He's just really a simple soul who just really believes in living a simple life and loving the land and just fixing things so that you don't throw them away. You know, you you mentioned that you're a small brand, and I don't want to I don't want to discount that because sometimes small brands can have very large impacts. So let's talk about some of those impacts that um, that your brand is having. Um, what is it that your brand? Tell us about your brand, and then what is it about it that has that sort of eco impact? Wild Rooted is a brand we created um, in early 2019 to remind people of the way that a lot of us grew up in the woods and maybe being money poor, but being very nature rich. We, as older folks, kind of see maybe younger folks and older folks um, seeing screens a lot and maybe 
screens while they they do a lot of good, I think you have to have some balance. So we wanted some way to give back to the national parks and we wanted some way to just enrich people's lives with something on social media that is constantly nature and constantly supportive and empowering. And so the brand started pretty organically in that we just started with a couple stickers that I tried to remember that five week trip to the national parks and we saw so much, I had to draw it. So I drew like five different, like I drew a tree and I filled inside what I experienced. And then I drew an owl and I, and I drew inside what I experienced. And so we just made some stickers to give out to people. And before you knew it, people were like, these are great. And then we started doing t-shirts and it just kept growing and growing. And so we just really want to put some good out into the world and we want to do it sustainably. And there are a couple really cool companies like Living Ink Technology, Scott Fulbright. He is the founder of Living Ink and he makes uh, carbon negative algae ink, which we use on like this t-shirt is printed with algae ink. Um, so this shirt is 100% cotton printed with algae ink, as opposed to a lot of shirts are printed with plastisol. So we're really trying to move towards something that doesn't harm nature. We want to give back to nature, but we also don't want to harm nature. And then we're working with natural fiber welding here in Peoria, and they make a couple of products. Right now we're working with their Miram product. It is a, a leather leather looking uh, yeah, leather a, replacement leather it's a leather alternative but yeah so it's made completely of plants rubber essential oils and actually agricultural waste which is very bountiful here and um, being a converter for natural fiber welding has been um, kind of a big deal for us because we're able to make things like uh, key tags um, that are laser etched so they're completely eco-friendly um, patches on caps we're working um, on some other things, um, but basically being able to make a product that supports the national park that doesn't hurt nature. I think we're really, we're really doing what we set out to do. We're just doing it a little bit differently than what we thought. That, that's a little bit of time. Can't be a perfect solution right out the yeah, gate. Yeah, little steps. Yeah, that's really cool to that. Not only um, are you trying to give back to national parks, right? With you know, profits that you bring in, things like that. But then also, like like you said, not harming nature in order to do that, you know, by using algae ink, like you mentioned before we started recording that like this patch can, you can throw it on the ground and it's just going to turn in the soil, right? Like it's not going to be anything harmful uh, for the environment. And I think that is in and of itself is super cool um, in this unfortunate time in the world uh in our society where we're you know this fast fashion right where it's super cheap clothing um styles are changing sometimes you know weekly let alone seasonally and yearly you know and it's just like this constant um subconscious if not totally overt push to just keep like updating and buying new clothes that Whenever you get rid of them, if you donate them, great. Um, but if, you know, a lot of this fast fashion, like it rips, it doesn't hold up well to multiple washings, things like that. So you end up throwing it away and then it's sitting in a landfill and it isn't biodegradable. It's just going to be there literally forever. Um, mm -hmm. So the idea that you can, you know, 
buy a t-shirt that you wear over and over and over again because it's become your now favorite t-shirt and it has holes in it and it's like i can't donate it i can't wear this anymore um you know maybe you know your wife doesn't like you wearing that holy t-shirt out to family <laughs> gatherings um that's awfully precise you know, yeah type thing um no she's great she's great um but i do i will say i have some favorite shirts that i i should throw away but i just can't bring myself to do it um oh, but to just pass them to know, the no <laughs> to, to know that like if I did throw a, a t-shirt like this away that that really I don't even have to throw it away like I could bury it in my garden right and it's not gonna harm any of the vegetables that I'm growing or anything like that like that is such a cool concept to me and I hope that this is just the tip of the iceberg and I hope that more brands and more clothing options get put out there that have this sustainable and not harmful aspect to clothing. Yeah. So if anybody's interested in switching their t-shirts to being printed with algae ink, just check with your local screen printer. Um, you can, they can buy the ink for you. It is um, an organic type matter. So you do have to refrigerate it, I believe, but it it's super soft. So when you wear the t-shirt to bed, you don't have that plasticky feel on your shirt. So it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of rad actually. Yeah. I, you know, I um, handmade some, some shirts last year in the summer for um, uh, the, the Keystone Elk Country Alliance uh, Elk Expo. Um, uh, and um, it used basically like a sticker that you, it was a heat press, you know, mm. um, think cricket machine type thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was just this big square of my logo and it was great. Like uh, for what I'm doing, just to be here. And it was like 90 degrees and sunny all weekend. And I was sweating anytime <laughs> that my back was in the sun because it just traps all the heat. Like it's not, oh, you know, I didn't think about that. Yeah. It just trapped all the heat. Um, it's a the green was a little bit darker color. So it attracted that sunlight and it's like, okay, this was a bad idea. This, <laughs> this, the, you know, I'm sweating profusely as I'm trying to talk to people. And it's like, this, this, this was a bad idea. I need to come up with a, a better option for a t-shirt because this isn't going to make anyone happy. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So not only would it be more, uh, would it be more beneficial to the environment? Uh, but it's also going to help you feel a little bit better as you're wearing it. I'm sure. Um, yeah. So how you, you two and your son were, you're able to take something that you love and find a way to help nature, help humans. Like, how do you do that? Well, I'm an eco-friendly packaging designer by day. So that helps fund things. We're both self-employed. And then John does e-commerce web development and illustration. So I don't think we could be able to give as much back to the parks as we have if we didn't have these day jobs. But these day jobs mean that everything we would hire somebody to do to do the brand, we can do ourselves because it's what we do every day. So it allows us to give more back to the national parks. Yeah. So that's just basically like, what are you already good at? Right. And then how can you leverage that um, yeah. in, into helping? Um, I'm a teacher you know, by career. And uh, so I talk all day, right? So how can I leverage what I'm doing to benefit 
in this case, conservation. Um, and for me, it was like, well, I'm just going to keep talking. I'm going to talk about it uh, mm -hmm. to as many people as possible. And, you know, that's what I try to, to talk to my students about. And I'm sure they're probably sick of hearing that. Like everyone is good at something. Find what you're good at and then find what you're passionate about and marry those two together. Mm -hmm. um, will it make you rich? Not necessarily. Um, it could but not necessarily, but what it will do is it'll give you that sense of satisfaction that you're using your talents to help a cause or something you're passionate about, you know, succeed in some way or another. Uh, so I want to applaud, you know, you two and your son uh, for being able to take what you feel passionately about and take what you're, what you're able to do, what, you know, what you're talented at and, and marrying those two together. If we had, I really feel like if we had more people like that, there would be a lot more good going on in the world um, and, and less greed, if you will. Mm -hmm. yeah. And big, big shout out to um, if you do want to marry your passion to doing good, be sure to tap into your local um, small business organizations. Most states have free resources for you, so you don't have to do it all yourself. So here in Greater Peoria, we have a place called Distillery Labs where we can seek counsel of people who may know things that we don't know. And so we're not learning it all ourselves. So don't try to do it all yourselves. Reach out to uh, your community and to your local economic development. They're there to help you grow. Yeah. Small Business Development Center too. Yeah. yeah. So if someone's interested, someone's listening, they're like, I want to check out this company, I want to check out, you know, their brand, their apparel, what, what they're producing. Um, it seems really cool to me. Where can they go to purchase? Yeah. So that's pretty easy. Uh, wildrooted.com. And then on any social channel, it's just wildrooted. So W I L D R O U T E D.com. And anytime you see an owl in one of our designs, that's a tribute to my grandpa that I grew up next to on a homestead. Um, he taught us how to farm the land and take care of it and uh, taught us how to fix things instead of throwing them away. So that's our tribute to him. That's really cool. The, those little personal touches are oftentimes mm -hmm. what make things okay. um, so much better. So for everyone listening, the links to their social uh, media profiles to their website, uh, all going to be down in the episode notes. Uh, so uh, if you don't, if you're driving, don't grab a pen and, and paper, right? That's dangerous. Uh, just wait till you get to uh, the next red light and then you can go ahead and click that link and uh, it'll take you right to where you want to go. Uh, Diana, John, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate this. Um, where, before we go though, where is the next national park you're going to go to? We don't, all of them. <laughs> we, we don't have one. Can we plan. have all of them, please? <laughs> we, we just got back from the... Uh, Public Land Alliance Conference out in Portland. And so we're kind of gathering our thoughts from that and reaching out. We're hoping to get into some of the national parks right. here. I'm, soon, I'm guessing so. it's going to be in the Washington state area would be my guess. We haven't tapped into that yet. I was curious. I was curious to see if you both like rattled off a different place and then have like a debate live. <laughs> oh, it's, a it's a constant of, argument. Uh, of who's <laughs> who's going to win that one? Uh, I, was just I will scared. win. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And um, good luck on your next adventure. Thanks thank so you. much. We appreciate you. Thank Thanks. you.
And that will do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. A big thank you to Diana and John uh, for coming on and talking about not just their trip and, and the tips and everything, which all that stuff was was great information, but also talking about how you know they've been inspired to give back uh, to nature in a way that works best for them. You know, and I think that is really the key takeaway from all of this is that if you enjoy nature, we have to find ways to give back to it. Because if we don't, as we see and have seen, uh, you know, humans just take over ecosystems and, and tend to destroy them if we just take them over, you know, and develop in an unfettered way. Uh, you know, so if we, you know, if you enjoy being out in nature, you enjoy going to national parks, like we need to give back uh, because unfortunately it's not top priority financially. Uh, you know, conservation's not not a top priority financially. So we have to find ways to give back. And they've done that with their company. You know, they've taken their unique skills and they've figured out a way to be able to um, create a company that also gives back. You know, I have taken my unique skills and put them into this podcast of, you know, I'm a talker, so, and I like talking to people, let's, let's, you know, highlight things going on in conservation. Um, going back real quick to the tips and, and some of the things that they mentioned, you know, for anyone that's maybe visited some national parks and, and been around, um, you, the, those tips might've been like low level for you, maybe like, oh yeah, of course. Um, if you're someone that's like a avid backpacker or, um, you know, you've done DIY hunting trips. Some of you are like, oh yeah, okay. I like no big deal. Um, that's pretty easy stuff. Uh, things that I would have known, but you know, for someone that doesn't necessarily, you know, maybe they're planning their first trip or just even like little things of just like making sure you have food, like realizing that, you know, if you don't book certain amount of time in advance, like it's going to be very hard to find hotels in that general area, you know, having four wheel drive, um, you know, to be able to see, you know, those sort of deep and deep spots that other people don't see, like in order to get to those places, sometimes it's going to be a lot of work. Um, but those, what I have found, you know, when I'm hunting in particular, you know, when I do that little bit of extra work, uh, to get to a spot that, um, other people might not normally go to, cause it is that extra work. I tend to enjoy those moments more, you know, and it sure sounds like Diana and John, uh, are finding those spots and enjoying them more. Uh, because they put in that little bit of extra work. So this was a big, long episode. If you stick around to the end, uh, you know, after this is done, my little outro here is done, you're going to hear an ad, and you're going to hear an ad for the Wild Rooted Company. And that's because we have partnered with Wild Rooted. Uh, they're doing great work. So we've partnered with them. So in that ad and in the episode details at the bottom, uh, we actually have like a, a little free discount code for you uh, if you go to Wild Routed. So uh, listen to that ad, see what's, uh, see what's available there. Check out their website, definitely. Uh, and you'll find some really, really cool products and that are you know eco-conscious, which is even better. Make sure you take some time to click that link and go to wildrooted.com and listen to the ad for the discount code that you are going to hear and you can enter at checkout. Until next time, Get outside, take someone with you, and as always, stay wild. Just like you, I've been on a search for ways to tell the world I'm passionate about the outdoors. Things like a beautifully designed sticker, a well-fitting hat, or a comfortable shirt, all while working to help the outdoor community. Well, 
I think I finally found a company who checks all the boxes. Wild Rooted is an eco-conscious, family-owned company with a wide range of products, from stickers to shirts printed with algae ink and hat patches, key fob holders, and keychains made with a plant-based leather alternative called Miram. They have an inspirationally designed product for you. Not only that, but 10% of all profits are donated to our wonderful national parks and forests. It doesn't get any better than that. Head over to wildrooted.com and use CU Free Ship 23 at checkout to get your gear. That's CU F R E E S H I P 23 at wildrooted.com. 